All right, go ahead and open up to John 18. John 18, you want to follow along. We're going to uh, pray, and then I'm going to read and just, again, sort of work our way through it together quickly and then help us apply it. John 18. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that your Son, our King, kept your word to the very end. We are thankful, Jesus, that you withstood the false charges levied against you. Like the silent sheep before the executioner, you exhibited courage, bravery, humility. And for that, God, we are thankful. We ask and pray now that your Spirit would give us understanding, give us conviction, give us courage. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Kingdom now. Amen, Ellie. Kingdom now. Open up to John 18 with me. Look at verse 1, and we'll just work our way through. Again, I'm going to make some comments as we go, and, and then we'll go from there. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, the brook of Kidron, that's um, east of Jerusalem, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Jesus, excuse me, now Judas also who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. This is presumably the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, It lines up with the other synoptic gospels. Um, Interesting historical piece here. We're at at the Passover time, and quite probably Jesus would have been walking through the brook. There would have been lamb's blood from the Passover, Josephus tells us upwards of 300,000. Um, it was lower than that, but 250 to 300,000 um, lambs were sacrificed for Passover around this time. It gives you an idea of how many people were there, how many families, if it's just one lamb per family. Um, Jerusalem's population swelled <laughs> during this time. So here's our Lamb of God potentially walking through where they would have taken the blood from the temple, and it would have gone into the, to the brook of the Kidron Valley. Verse 3, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons, as if, you know, you need a SWAT vehicle for um, a, a man who may have a bag of weed on him or something. Um, <laughs> this is the type of injustice. It is interesting that uh, some of your notes, maybe you have an NASB, the note, the word cohort there is normally used to describe 600 men. So we, we like to think it was, you know, Judas and like five guys, six guys from Rome, you know, the Roman, the uh, fortress of Antonia was right by the temple. Um, we're talking probably several hundred men came to arrest Jesus. So talk about overkill, right? Um, It was a lot more than what we normally think. So they had their lanterns. It's night. They had torches for the same purpose. And they had weapons. Jesus is a bad man. He must be taken care of. They came at him with weapons. So Jesus, knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to him, Whom do you seek? It's interesting that Jesus goes first. Whom do you seek? What's all this about? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to him, to them, I am he. Now, the NASB has he in italics. Um, Do you have an ESV, Aaron? 
You do? Does it say I am he? Okay. In Greek, it's just ego I me. I am. Ego I me. I am. Um, I am is God's name. So it's very intentional. He says, I am. I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. There's speculation on this. When Jesus voiced, I am, did they fall back in terror? Probably. Um, there's a weird passage, I can't remember now where it's at, but where uh, Saul sends prophets to David and they all are in a frenzy. There's like this chaotic scene. And then Saul goes and the same thing happens to Saul. Almost like a weird spaz moment of prophetic spaz, we can call it, I guess. Um, so probably when Jesus said, I am, it struck fear in their hearts. We're talking about several hundred. They backed up, probably tripped over each other. That's the scene here. It's a very powerful scene. Verse 7. Therefore, he again asked them, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. I am he. I am. So if you seek me, let these go their way. Remember, he loved his disciples to the uttermost. He wanted them, their safety. The, the, the shepherds interposing here on behalf of the disciples. Let them go on their way to fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom I have given, uh, excuse me, you have given me, I lost not one. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, bondservant, and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Interesting thing. We're told that this is the high priest's slave. This interaction just came off the cusp of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Malchus is now this unwitting testimony to the two high priests that are actually going to battle. Um, Jesus is the high priest, and Malchus stands in the middle. And it's very curious because John does not tell, Luke tells us this, but John does not tell us that Jesus heals his ear, but he does heal Malchus's ear. John's the only one that tells us the name of the servant, probably because he knew him. Uh, John had connections, as we'll see in the text. He had connections there. In other words, um, Jesus gives Malchus ears to hear, to pay attention to the high priest, who is the high priest, who can heal him, ultimately. So Peter um, is excited about war. He's ready to go. Um, he's already uh, indicated that earlier. So he grabs the sword that Jesus told them to keep on them as um, an act of um, sec uh, Second Amendment rights, I guess. And, um, but he, he, he uses it in the wrong way. He's fighting um, when he doesn't need to. So put the sword into the sheath. Um, Cody, you read those verses from the Old Testament. This cup that the Father is having him drink is a cup that's reserved for the enemies of God. All those verses he read were in the context for the enemies of God. This cup is God's wrath. God's wrath. Jesus is taking the cup on behalf of his people. Verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Um, historical fact, Annas was a compromised, terrible person. 
he was deposed by Rome in AD 15. But um, just like today, if you were to run into um, President Barack Obama, he's still called president. Same thing. Here's Annas. The high priest title stays with you until you're dead. But interesting, though, um, Rome was not supposed to mess with that under Jewish law. The high priest was God's prerogative. Um, so there's a, it's a mess, basically. So they go to Annas first. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised, he's the actual high priest, his son-in-law, was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. That was from John 11. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple, presumably John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of, his, one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Jesus said, I am three times. Peter's going to say, I am not three times. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Uh, in John 21, G Peter is going to be at another charcoal fire. You ever, you ever heard a song or smelled a smell that brought back memories? Um, songs do that to me all the time, especially from my childhood. Smells will do that. Peter is at a charcoal fire denying Jesus. He's going to be at a charcoal fire in John 21 being restored by Jesus. Probably having that palpable smell and remembrance of what he had done. <clears throat> so he denies him. Verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Jesus is not a Gnostic. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. He doesn't need to testify to himself. He has witnesses. When he said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Do you talk to police that way? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? He's challenging them on God's law. So Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early, early in the morning. Uh, from the other Gospels, they were talking 6 a.m. Shift change, the first hour of the new day, 6 a.m. This illegal kangaroo court happened at night, which was against Jewish law. Jewish law. Uh, court cases are to be public, and the reason is, is for accountability, so there's no backhanded tyranny and all this nonsense. But they don't care. They don't love God's law. There Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? This man, this Adam, this second Adam. They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. <laughs> Convenient. You don't need to give him a fair trial. He's obviously wicked. 
So Pilate said to him, take him, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Do it your own way then. I mean, I'm not going to bother with this. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. They're suddenly righteous. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Jesus doesn't die by stoning. He by, dies by being lifted up from the earth. Verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, this is powerful. We're going to focus on this. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who hears, excuse me, who is of the truth, hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Live your truth. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then I, that I release for you the king of the Jews? Sort of a sarcastic comment. So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas in Aramaic means son of the father. Bar Abba, son of father. The true son of the father is going in to death while this other son of the father gets free. The great exchange. So to focus our, our time here for the next few minutes, there are plenty of occasions where we are approaching scripture when one person can have an, a, an interpretation and another person can completely ha- have a completely different interpretation. For Christians, and and I'm submitting to you that this is a section where the church, by and large, has messed it up. For Christians, a lot of times in our debates on passages, it can be an iron sharpening iron sort of thing. Um, But when it comes to dialoguing with unbelievers who don't know Jesus Christ, we're not just arguing about hermeneutical styles and preferences. At a base level, we are debating truth altogether. Truth is on the table. This is because truth is morally charged. Truth has a moral edge to it. Intrinsically tied to truth is the ethics of God's law. Truth has an ethical edge to it. Jesus had already talked about truth several times in John's Gospel. He has prayed to the Father, asking that he sanctify them in truth because God's word is truth. John 17, 17 and verse 19. He has already said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Way back in John 1, 14, we beheld his glory, which was full of grace and truth. We know that he, he who does the truth comes to the light, that's John 3, 21. The hour is coming, that's the cross, where worshipers will worship in what? Spirit and truth. When we come to Christ, we can know the what? The truth, and the truth sets us free. Several times over, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. So truth is, without a doubt, a popular thing in John's Gospel. It's a central concern 
And that's because truth is wrapped up in a person and that person's self-revelation. Okay, it's not even just self-revelation, the word becoming flesh. He is truth. Truth took on flesh and became a person. But it's not even that only. It's also the means by which men are awakened to the revelation. Truth changes your demeanor. Truth, because of its ethical edge, shifts you into not only right relationship with God, but right thinking with God. Your mind has changed. You start thinking God's thoughts after him in a way that is potent, we'll say. So he's the spirit of truth who enlightens us and he resurrects us. When when Pilate says, what is truth? We need to see this in a proper context. Pilate does not care about truth. He does not care about truth. Pilate, Pilate cares about Pilate. Pilate cares about his next pay raise. Pilate cares about doing a good job so that he can maybe go back to Rome and sit on the Senate. That's what Pilate cares about. The politics of fallen man is not, nor can it ever be, about truth. Truth is not the language of politics. It's not. Truth is not the language of politics. And this is because, apart from the gospel of the kingdom, politics boils down to who has the largest stick. That's politics. That's, um, I am curious who Trump is going to run against. Because whoever it is, they're going to have to verbally assault him like he did Hillary Clinton (laughs) to win. It's about the bigger stick in politics. Who has the most money? Who, who has the backdoor channels? That is what the politics of fallen man is all about. But truth, we should know, truth is as indiscriminate as the rain. It's as indiscriminate as the rain. Truth doesn't care about your feelings, though, of course, it does work with your feelings. But truth, as, and that's, of course, the message Jesus proclaimed, that message is unconcerned with where it lands. Why is it the parable of the sower is so careless and throwing it everywhere? Because truth doesn't care. Truth will go wherever it does. It doesn't, it's like the rainfall. It, it just happens and it goes everywhere. And that's our position. Truth is supposed to go everywhere. Chris preaching your, your mind out yesterday. Phenomenal job, brother. You were um, accosted verbally by the pro-life Catholic who didn't like your tone. When someone doesn't like the truth, what do they do? They go after tone or they go after an ad hominem attack or they start um, firing back because truth is, it, truth doesn't care about those things. It's just the truth. And I think all of that is because truth belongs to God And not only does it belong to God, God sets the parameters for what is true and what is not true because there's no neutrality. And since we live in this age of relativism, where you get to just live your truth, we have to insist upon it. We have to insist upon truth. We must be resolute about truth. Now, a lot of this is connected to the content of the truth we proclaim, okay? So heralding the truth Heralding the truth means that we have to be shrewd about our strategies of disclosure of the truth. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. We're to be wise as serpents and and gentle as doves. Um, So we're supposed to be wise about it. But Pilate, he, he doesn't understand the issue here. Blasphemy is no concern to Rome. 
Rome has all the gods. They don't care. Blasphemy is a religious thing. We don't care about that. But you have a rival king. A rival king. A king of the Jews. Another king. Now we have a problem. So Jesus, so Pilate questions Jesus, unwittingly giving evidence that he's made in the image of God. He does dabble in truth, at least when it's convenient. And how do we know that Pilate does reflect the image of God? How do we know that Pilate does dabble in truth? Well, he asks the question, are you the king of the Jews? You don't ask that question unless you're seeking some understanding. And here's Jesus' response. Well, sir, we're, we're on the subject. Let's go ahead and talk. My kingdom doesn't derive from this world. My kingdom isn't given to me by men. My kingdom isn't, the origin isn't earthly. If my kingdom were to function, Pilate, like the defunct kingdom of Rome, if my, if my kingdom was like yours, my servants, they would grab their swords and we would go to work. We would do something about this. But as it is, my kingdom is not like that. My, my kingdom is not the way yours is. And this is where many evangelicals mess it up, as you know. He's not saying my kingdom has nothing to do with this world. My kingdom is different from the politics of Rome. My kingdom is different from the politics of fallen man. My kingdom, as the second Adam, is different from the kingdom that was given to the first Adam who left it who forsook it. He, he had forsaken this kingdom. Now don't miss verse 37. I want you to see this. You can look there. Therefore Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. Look. <laughs> Jesus affirms that he is a king. Not later in some obscure future millennial reign. He's king. Okay? And the whole reason for his birth, he says is for this very reason. Isaiah 9, 6, right? For unto us a son is born, a child is given, and upon him will be the government, uh, it will be on his shoulders. And I take that to mean the rule and reign of God will be on him. See, to come into the world, that's why he came, to come into the world to testify to the truth. The truth about what? When you are of the truth, you hear his voice. Pilate isn't of the truth. So he can't understand. Besides, truth is relative. What is it anyway? That's his question. What is truth? He's not trying to, you know, follow the Socratic method here. He's not, he's not going that route. He doesn't care. What is it anyway? What, what is it? Well, you, you have it? In other words, what, why? Why concern yourself with the truth when you can live the high life? Why concern yourself uh, with the abortion holocaust, when you, you can ignore it, it's easier. Why concern yourself with, with statism and, and taxes? You guys are just, you're muddying the gospel. It's just easier to ignore that. It's easier. That's Pilate. That's the politics of man. That's why the church is the way it is today. See, the primary point John is getting at, and this is the climax of the story, is the fact that Jesus Christ, he's the king of the Jews, but he's not just king of the Jews, he's the king of the world. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, but guess what, Pilate? You don't understand that I'm king of you. That's why I was born. 
And the only way for Jesus to be established as king is to do so by being exalted in his death and resurrection. The very opposite of the exaltation Pilate's looking for. See, we have a king who is dead and he is now not. Jesus has unending authority and power. And the way that this is wielded, the way it works in God's world, is by showing up the pretended authorities and power lusters through self-giving sacrifice. They will do violence. They will end his life, but Christ will not. And I think that this text, though widely misunderstood and widely misread by some of our Christian brothers and sisters, I think it's a crucial passage in communicating the presence of the kingdom of God now. The characters of the story, they're all working, except for Jesus, they're all working from different scripts, right? Peter is ready to fight. He's ready to go the violent route. The religious leaders, they're ready to frame an innocent man because they don't care about truth either. And then you have Pilate who's willing to compromise, all right, fine, I'll, I'll execute this guy, and you guys can have Barabbas, who was already convicted. See, that's the tactics of fallen man. That's the tactics, the politics of men who don't know Christ. Fallen men don't care about the truth because the truth compromises the integrity of their supposed convictions. Real gospel preaching will attack the integrity of someone's convictions. Jesus is truth incarnate. God is on trial. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of God, to make God's reality come to fruition in a world that's stricken by paganism and relativism and humanistic arrogance. It's not a pride flag. It's an arrogance flag. That's what it's high-handed rebellion. But of course, things are not as they seem. Jesus is on trial, but guess what? He's not actually on trial. Pilate stands on trial, and we'll see that next time. Pilate, he's compromised. Jesus is not. In Pilate's kingdom, truth is only a tool to be wielded when it's convenient. In Jesus' kingdom, truth always prevails, despite the attempts of the kingdoms of men. Jesus is going to his hour, the hour of his crucifixion, and we should see that as his throne. He's lifted up on high. That's his kingdom. And what the religious leaders don't understand and what Pilate doesn't understand is that this unholy alliance, by the way, in Revelation, you have the harlot riding the beast. That's this. The harlot is apostate Judaism riding the beast that is Rome. They're working in tandem together against Christ. All of that's going to come to an end when Christ is hoisted up on the cross. Their attempts at condemning Jesus and putting an end to his kingdom is actually the very means of this kingdom truth being established in the world. So don't worry, friends. Don't fret. Do not be dismayed. Do not be given over to fear and timidity. Do not believe the lies promulgated by the powers and principalities of our day. Do not for one second think that we are at all on the losing end of this battle. We are not. The victory has been won, so we must take heart. The victory has been won, so we have hope. The victory is ours. Why? Because our King has risen. His kingdom is now. Let's pray. Father, we submit our time to you. We, we glorify you and thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge found therein. God, there's so much here that we could mine this for hours. But we pray that 
We pray that what's been said, God, that what's been heard, that what we see in your word, God, would, would go forth and produce fruit. We desire so much for your kingdom to become a palpable reality here. And not, and not just in us here, but in our county, in this state, in this nation. Help us be faithful every day. I pray for our moms, God, that you would encourage them. Give them, give them courage to know that they are raising an army. Strengthen our men that we would, we would lead not only through service of others, but courage and boldness at our jobs, at our places of influence. God, would you help us? We need it. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.